0: Listen, respect for jurisdiction is a cornerstone of policing. It's a cornerstone of diplomacy. But a new investigation from an NGO called Safeguard Defenders finds that China has set up no fewer than 54 police-run, quote, overseas police service centers across five continents, some of which are implicated in collaborating with Chinese police and carrying out policing operations on foreign soil. That includes three Publicly documented ones in Toronto, that is, overseas police service centres, home to Canada's largest Chinese diaspora. Now, their stated goal, given that there's no extradition treaty between Canada and China, is to persuade alleged criminals to return to China to face justice. So how has this been allowed to happen, including here in this country? We think Charles Burton is a senior fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute in Ottawa. He also served as a diplomat at Canada's embassy in Beijing. Thanks for your time. Great pleasure to speak with you, Ben. So, Charles, this is a very, always a very alluring headline about uh, Chinese authorities somehow operating, operating with impunity in Canada. It's not something that we've never heard before. But tell me about this new report. It's, it paints a pretty, uh, a pretty stark picture about what's going on.
1: Well, I think that you know, in the past years, as I discussed in my article, uh, specifically with regard to the uh, Chinese uh, smuggling case, by uh, Changxing, who who uh, came to Canada. Um, We've had a lot of experience with Chinese police entering our country on false documents uh, invited by people who are involved in the United Front Work Department of the Chinese Communist Party operations here in Canada. And they invite the police uh, pretending that that they have important business purposes to meet with them. And then once the Chinese police get here, they go and meet with people in Canada that they would like to see return to to China. So this would be, um, you know, corrupt officials who have escaped up here with their uh, with their earnings of doubtful provenance, um, some political distance, who managed to to get out before they were caught, and of course some genuine like triad gang criminals involved in money laundering and drugs and so on. And, you know, there's incentive for China to get those people back because when the Chinese um, convict someone of financial crime, they seize all of their assets. You know, here in Canada, if we convict someone of of some uh, criminal activity, we seize the assets that are the proceeds of crime. In China, they take a lot. And, of course, in some cases, some of the Chinese officials that they want brought back are people that have got on the wrong side of factional political uh, struggles and you know they want them back for for political reasons i think they, the 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 main point here is that we have no extradition treaty with uh, china because they don't follow due process of law they don't provide proper evidence of criminal activity they um they torture people in interrogation and they apply the death penalty f- very freely so you know the only way that the chinese police can get people back is by coming here and intimidating them home and now what we're seeing is that the Chinese seem to be sufficiently emboldened by our utter lack of Canadian response. You know, we've never arrested a single one of these people or or declared persona non grata the Chinese diplomats that, that control these operations. Um, you know, they've now setting up permanent offices it, it, around the world in countries that will tolerate them and the transparency um a uh, report from out of Madrid identifies three of these offices in the city of Toronto. And I would imagine that there would likely be comparable offices in Vancouver and Calgary and so on, wherever there are significant uh, ethnic Chinese populations. So, you know, this is a gross violation of Canadian law, diplomatic practice, and why our government does not do something about it
0: is uh, a cause for concern. I get, I mean just the impact of having those if you're a member of the diaspora living in this country having having those everyone knows those offices are around too within the community right this is no mm-hmm. great secret but it's as if this entire system is operating in parallel and 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 how we can put up with that always shocks me
1: well i think that there is a you know a school of thought uh, in government and business that you know our main concern with china is the promotion of canadian prosperity through trade and investment and that if we crack down on chinese espionage or these harassment activities of canadians of wager and tibetan background for example that uh, the chinese will retaliate um through economic coercion to to make us pay and that tolerating this sort of activity by the chinese regime is an acceptable cost of maintaining the business relationship, I, you know, I think that's a morally bankrupt position, and uh, I think that Canadians should demand that our government um, not allow the, the Chinese police to set up operations and engage in illegal activities in inside the sovereign boundaries of Canada. It's just, uh, you know, it's just outrageous from my point of view that we don't, we don't, we don't uh, deal with this aggressively.
0: So under what guise do these offices exist? Because clearly they're not called, you know, the, the, the Bureau of the Fuzhou Police in Toronto. They're called something far different, right?
1: Well, they do. I mean, they do claim to have some legitimate activities such as, uh, you know, seeing as people can't get back to China due to the uh, zero COVID policy, um, they uh, they say they can renew driver's licenses and engage in normal sorts of, um, of uh, police related activities um that's the cover but that sort of activity should be done by the consulates and embassies not by some ad hoc office of people who have not been accredited as representatives of China in Canada so these organizations typically hide under um chinese homeland organizations so there are a lot of organizations coordinated by the United Front Works Department of the Communist Party here in Canada that that are ostensibly social and business associations to help um, Chinese speakers in our country, but which actually are acting as as extensions of the regime. So, you know, you'll see um, ads in Canadian newspapers signed by maybe as many as 85 organizations, you know, like the Fuzhou... Um, um, Social club or the 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 Chinese chess Association of markham uh, demanding that Canada um, respect the Hong Kong national security law or demanding that that uh, Canada rebuke the um, UN commissioner of human rights for a report uh, uh, talking about Chinese violations of of um, of crime uh, crimes of against humanity, against the Uyghurs. So, you know, these organizations are are at the beck and call of the Chinese government, and then they have offices, and apparently these police uh, coordinating offices um, are um, housed inside the headquarters of these uh, Chinese associations. So we know where they are for the three of them in Toronto, and I dare say we could uncover many more if, if we uh, put our minds
0: to it. Are there any countries who are doing a better job of trying to make sure that uh, that this is at least not done with impunity?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Australia is in the lead on this. They have laws about foreign interference and people who are recipients of... of um, benefits from a foreign state having to be transparent about it, the the, uh, Australian Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act of 2018, for example. Uh, And Australia has a lot more to lose because Australia's external trade to China is about 30% of their external commodity trade, whereas Canada's external commodity trade to China is only about 4%, and it's mostly agricultural commodities and minerals. So you know, we could stand up to China and take the retaliation because we could seek markets for those things elsewhere if we, if we needed to. So, you know, we won't. Our government is not keen on the Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act idea. Um, apparently, there are a lot of vested interests in Canada that would not like to have it known publicly that they receive money from from the government of China, so or or proxies of the government of China. So it's a you know it's a very disturbing situation. I don't see any reason why people who have a conflict of interest because they're receiving economic benefits from a foreign government and therefore would speak on behalf of that foreign government um not being required to to tell us that outright so that we could assess uh what they're lobbying for um based on fuller information. you know we know that Jean Charest was speaking. Ways which appeared to be sympathetic to Huawei, and then subsequently was discovered that he'd been on a three-year um, uh, contingency payment from Huawei. Um, some reports said it was seventy thousand a month. So you know, we just like to know that, and then you can, then you know, you can, you can
0: take what they say yourself. accordingly. Yeah, sure. judge for yourself. Uh, I mean, nothing,
1: I nothing stops you from taking money from foreign sources if you wish. We just want you to to be honest about it.
0: Uh, there will be a new resident taking up charge there, uh, Jennifer May. Uh, Charles, uh, it seems like the right move uh, at this point to, to to appoint a career diplomat who has experience there, who speaks the language. Uh, it seems to check off a lot of right boxes. What did you think?
1: Yes, I mean, and uh, Jennifer is, had had a distinguished diplomatic career, most recently as ambassador to Brazil. I think the main thing is that our previous two political appointments had extensive dealings with Chinese state enterprises uh, prior to becoming ambassador, particularly Dominic Barton, who worked for McKinsey in Shanghai for, I believe, seven years advising uh, Chinese state firms and who, after he left um, the uh, diplomatic posting, uh, has gone to work for uh, a gold company that also does a lot of work in China. So, you know, you want to clear out the uh, impression, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, that that our ambassador might uh, might be favorably disposed towards uh, uh, the interests of the other country, China, because they have some uh, economic interests there themselves and their families. And I think, with Ms. May, uh, you know, she's been a diplomat uh, throughout her career. There's no question that she has uh, any um, reason to not be uh, um, completely committed to. Uh, to, uh, Canadian interests there. And I think, uh, our prime minister has suggested that she will be, uh, speaking on, uh, Canadian concerns over, um, China's human rights and, uh, and, um, activities, uh, in the South China Sea and in the Belt and Road program. And so we may see a quite a different tone out of Beijing from the ambassador, but that being said, you know, she, the ambassador only acts out on, uh, Canadian government policy. She doesn't get to make it. And so, um, She'll be, I think, trying to represent whatever the new Indo-Pacific policy turns out to be, and I I hope it's one that that Canadians will approve of.
0: Yeah, because it's taken some time to see see that in Indo-Canadian policy. The fact that we don't have a China policy, period, is a bit of a surprise, I've always thought. But in this case, um, I mean, the thing that struck me about her marching orders is that they seemed very similar to the marching orders given ambassadors to China 30 years ago, this idea of trying to balance human rights and, and, and economic cooperation, so to speak. Uh, is that still possible, do you think? Is it still possible to walk that line as Canada in Beijing right now?
1: Well, yes, I think that you know certainly there are things that China wants from Canada. Um, you know, we're a reliable trading partner. Um, we maintain um, international contracts, unlike some other countries who are politically stable. And we have commodities that China wants. I don't think that we ought to make ourselves open to economic coercion or, you know, buy into this sort of line, such as if your prime minister meets with the Dalai Lama, you'll be sorry kind of thing that they mm-hmm. often put out. We have to just go with, with bald interests. And, and I think in our, um, export policies towards China, we have to build in the fact that Um, China can arbitrarily apply non-tariff barriers if they want to exert political pressure on us, as they did at the time of um, Ms. Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei CFO, who was being held in Vancouver pending an extradition hearing, when they um, decided to say... You know, frankly, utterly falsely, that our canola seeds, a thirty million dollar a year export, had um, contaminants in the dockage, the non-seed portion, and then they made up another thing over meat, which primarily affected uh, farmers in Quebec. You know that is going to happen, um, and and if you're going to do business in China, you have to recognize that you're you're dealing with a an unpredictable, unreliable, untrustworthy partner, and uh, just build that into the costs of doing business.
0: Yeah, it was funny how quickly that problem with the canola went away when all of a sudden they needed it um, not that long back. Exactly.
1: Um, Turns out that... It was bad, but it
0: suddenly became not bad. It became good. One of the interesting things listeners may not know is that for someone like Jennifer May, who is a career diplomat, the difference between the China you know and the China, say, a Dominic Barton would know, uh, makes a big difference when it comes to representing Canadian interests, I think, Um, because there are many circles in Chinese life. And knowing that you represent Canada and Canada's diplomatic interests um, can often mean being somewhat isolated, but also you know it, it it is a delicate diplomatic balance and i think um you need to be a career diplomat to know how it works
1: i think that she has a lot of very strong uh, diplomatic training and she's a person of very prudent judgment and i think she's less likely to be um you know, I don't know how do you put it politely but sort of seduced by a sophisticated engagement by uh, by people in the chinese foreign ministry i i have uh, I've known her very well. She succeeded me at the Canadian embassy in Beijing, and I -hmm. I have confidence that she's an excellent choice for a very difficult job.
0: Charles Burton, thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: It's a great pleasure to speak with you.